Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator, educator, and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guest today is Rachel Downey, owner of Stymie. She is also a 2020 Queensland Australian of the Year. Congratulations. I forgot to say congratulations. <laughs> Thank Rachel, you. <laughs> Rachel is someone I met a few years ago at a school west of Sydney where we were both giving back-to-back presentations and workshops to the students there. And I found out during that meeting the amazing work she was doing with the students who were finding it very hard to disclose dangerous behaviour in order to get help. Rachel created an amazing platform called Stymie that helps young people to report safely. Keep in mind a 2018 report by the eSafety Commissioner found that only 55%, so just over half of young people between the age of 8 and 18, reported a negative experience to an adult online. And I will say that in my job when I go out to speak to young people, I ask them what they would do if they saw something upsetting online and it's often the case that it, unless they're they've got a rehearsed line back to me they the person that they would tell last would be their parent unfortunately yes. and there's reasons for that and Rachel and I are going to talk about that and how um, what she does how she de- developed this platform and how we can help our children to have a better experience to be able to disclose um, these types of issues. So I'll let Rachel explain why she developed her platform, how it works and why she does what she does to help young people at risk. (laughs) Rachel, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. It's great having you here. Great to be here too. Talking about these things are really important, yeah. They certainly are and it's, in my mind, probably the most important area of cyber safety so regardless of all the advice that parents are given around cyber safety and uh, filters and parental controls and developing good online um, awareness uh, having a safe space for your child to come to you and tell you when they're confused or upset about something or being traumatized online is the number one thing that will help to protect and to help your child yeah. Uh, Rachel, tell us how you came to develop this platform called Stymie um, and what it is that it does and what, what you do. Yeah. Um, a number of years ago, so I've been an educator for 25 years. Um, I've done everything in schools, but most of my job has been uh, student management, you know, head of year, deputy principal, that kind of stuff. And um, I've just loved my job. Um, It's been awesome. But a number of years ago, one of my year nine boys died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those situations where, you know, I saw him every day. I had a really great teaching and learning relationship with him. And I always had this feeling that there was something wrong. Um, Whenever I'd ask him if he was okay, he'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, but I, but I guess I just always knew he wasn't. So I kept, I kept a bit of an eye on him. Unfortunately, um, he died by suicide. But it wasn't until after he died 
then the students started coming forwards and telling us information about his life that I believe that if we had had that information, I really think that we would have been able to help him. That's one of the great things about being in a school uh, and as a parent as well. We do have all of these um, support networks around us that we can tap into, but we've got to have the information first. So are you and, saying that even yeah. his parents didn't know about this? Well, essentially, um, there was some family violence happening. So what was happening at home was part of the issue as well. But the point around that was that the kids knew that things were happening to him at home. The kids knew that he was talking about not wanting to be here anymore. They also knew that he was getting bullied at school and um, pretty disgustingly taunted, you know, um, that go kill yourself conversation, which almost seems to be passed off as a bit of, oh, I was only joking kind of stuff these days. Um, still really drills down into people's hearts and, and is, is harmful. So, I mean, what the students told me was that they were too frightened to come to me or any of the other staff and talk about those issues because they were also frightened about what would happen to them. So that got me thinking about, well, how could we provide them with a place that they didn't feel that sense of fear, that at least they could give a school the information so that someone in my position who had all of these processes and procedures that were helpful would then actually be able to do something. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. um, yeah. So what was the process of, of putting this platform together? Did it come out of a sort of an idea around maybe a sort of suggestion box, which is something that I've seen in schools yeah. as well, where there's a, I went to one school where at the in the library they had a sort of a disclosure box where you could put a note in and it could be anonymous. They did say to the kids, it, it helps us more if you have um, a name on it so that we can follow it up rather than totally anonymous. But is that the sort of, the sort of idea of this platform, Rachel? Well, the Australian Covert Bullying Prevalence Study one of the outcomes of that was that schools should provide kids what they called an anonymous worry box. Um, and I mean, this is, you know, in the early 2000s. So, um, you know, we didn't have this kind of technology available to us. Obviously, being working in schools for a long time, I'd been a part of projects where we'd provided, you know, a PDF that kids could send or email in. But I, I realised in all of that, one of the reasons that those things didn't work was because the kids still always felt like that the school was watching them and that the school would find out and then there'd be all of these repercussions. So when I researched how we, one of the ways that we could solve this problem, a not negotiable for the kids was that it had to be anonymous. And the second not negotiable was that we need access to it 24 hours a day. So obviously, you know, 24 hours a day on something like this mm -hmm. um, that they have drafted to them. So you surveyed the kids and said, how oh, yes. can we, we can make this so yep. that you will actually report it? Yep, thousands of kids. And I spoke to hundreds of staff. Obviously, a 20-plus year career meant that I've got access to a lot of people I've worked in lots of different states in Australia as well. So I had a pretty good team, you know, help me put this together. And then when we rolled it out, we got lots of feedback from kids. You know, what do you think? Would you use it? Um, does it feel safe enough? Is it accessible? 
Um, and one of the reasons that Stymie is so great is because we have had so much input from parents and teachers and kids. The kids are the ones who make it work. Like, I'm really proud of them. So, so and how, how many schools is it in now? Is that the way oh, it works? We've got, you, it... We've got, yeah, yeah, we, we operate nationally. Um, so, you know, last year alone, I visited 121 schools. Um, because, you know, before COVID, we were delivering it face to face. We also operate in New Zealand and the UAE as well. Um, and before COVID happened, we were looking at, um, you know, moving some stuff over to Singapore as well. But I, I feel, you know, especially with everything that's happening with COVID and kids spending more time online, you know, we're talking about 200% increases of um, kids experiencing harm, seeing harm. Um, pornography, sextortion, all of those sorts of things, child sexual abuse material, like it's really intense at the moment. So my, I feel this sense of urgency to get this out to as many kids in as many schools as possible. Because the way that it works is that if I saw someone else being hurt or harmed as I was experiencing it myself, if my school was using Stymie, then I could go and make an anonymous notification that would go directly to the school. And then the school receives the notification and then they go, okay, how and what kind of help are we going to give? And then they confidentially make contact with the student and say, how can we help you? And what we hear from schools is that, you know, kids will make notifications about their mates who've been talking about um, self-harming or um, dying by suicide or big risk-taking behaviours, sexual assault, family violence, illegal activity. Like, imagine anything that impacts a child's well-being or their um, emotional or physical safety. They're all the kinds of things that get reported through Stymie, not, not just bullying. So it's been quite tell, powerful. Tell me a little bit about the safety around that disclosure, Rachel. When you go into a school, obviously some kids might be concerned about what happens to those reports and how yeah, yeah, of and all of that sort of thing. What what sort of efforts do you have to go to to oh, well, ensure that anything well, that they tell you is really like, safe? Yeah. We've got like Uber um, encryption and safety around that, but we don't keep anything. So okay. when a student makes a notification, it goes straight from the website straight to the school. It doesn't stop anywhere along the way. So there's no databases with the information. Um, there's no digital footprint with the information. You don't take any any data no. from the kids themselves. No, no. And, and I mean, a lot of people have gone, oh, you know, you could use the data so powerfully, but I'm not interested in using it powerfully for my gain. I'm, use, I'm interested in getting the information within and, and they're delivered in less than a second to the school. So the second a child press send on that notification, it's already at the school. Does and that mean that somebody's got to be awake and, and available no, to take that? Is there? No. How do, so, so schools will often switch off the notifications outside of hours. So if a child and in our testing, kids are on the internet, obviously at all times. And, and two of the, the biggest and busiest time for Stymie notifications is from between one and two 30 in the morning, surprisingly, and <laughs> just before 6am because kids are making notifications as their digital lives and their digital relationships are unfolding. And they'll also make them before 6am because they're worried about what's going to happen at school today. So the, the security um, around that is that if a child sends a notification outside of hours, they get a pop-up that says, look, there isn't anyone to read it right now, but if you are unsafe, 
um, or in immediate harm, find a responsible grown-up. Um, and then we also give them a whole heap of lists of here's a suicide callback service, Beyond Blue, Kids Helpline. So we don't leave them alone. They've got a whole heap of other places that they can contact. And emergency so services, I yes. imagine, as well. Absolutely. Emergency services is the first one. So, you know, we've tried to link in with all of those other places that we already know are available. But, you know, we know that kids, unfortunately, and it's not, you know, I don't want the parents to think they're bad parents, but you know, as a teacher, I was always in a position where my student was telling me this thing had been happening to them for the first time. They hadn't told their parents or their best mates or anyone else. And I, and I've spent years unpacking that. And I think, I think the reason behind that is because when they speak to me as a school person, I think what they're noting is that behind me stands a principal and then the police and then like a school foundation and all these rules and procedures. And it feels maybe a bit safe, a bit solid. I think it's but, also got to do with, you don't have, you don't have a dog in the race. You don't have a state. No. And I find that too, Rachel, when I go to schools, often um, students will approach me with an issue that they haven't told a parent or an adult um, because they do feel safe disclosing. You're not going to, lose it judge, on them or judge them or judge them i mean it, as part of our work we always I, I generally always have a teacher nearby anyway that comes in and steps in if there's an issue and we do have to disclose obviously to the school Definitely. anything that a student um, tells us when there's nobody around so it doesn't happen all that often to me but it's um it's easier as a, as a young person to tell someone that doesn't have the ability to take things away or to judge or whatever, it just gives them a straight answer. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's, there's probably three reasons, like in my experience with, with um, students, there's probably, these are the big reasons they don't disclose to parents. The first one is parents often overreact. All right. It's like, Oh my God, you know, mm. Um, one of the first things I tell parents when, when your child discloses something to you is that um, um, you, you're allowed to have your own feelings about it. But when it's like, wow, this is going on, I'm going to this and I'm going to that, or, oh, I'm so upset, your child all of a sudden is in a position where they're taking responsibility for your reaction. Oh, it doesn't yeah. feel very nice. Their bucket's mm. already full. They're already stressed. Mm. The second reason is because... Um, Often with phones, we do this. We say to our child, hi, darling, you're 13. There you go. Happy birthday. Here's this amazing piece of technology, but don't look at it. Don't look at porn. Don't bully. Don't look at stuff you're not allowed to, but we don't put the effort in to help them monitor that. And then when, we, when they come to us and say, well, I saw some weird stuff on the internet or I've seen someone being cyberbullied or I got cyberbullied or, or I'm not coping with what I'm looking at, then parents go, I'm taking that back from you. I told you not to look at it. Mm. So kids are also worried about that reaction mm. of being isolated. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is that they're really worried about is that there's obviously just the fear, but as parents, like when our children, when we feel like our kids are, are being dehumanized or hurt or harmed, we want to take over the situation and just heal it for them. And when we do that, like it's admirable and it's, and it's the first thing, you know, our mummy and daddy and our co-mummy and daddy bodies and every carer bodies want to do. But sometimes it's not appropriate taking over the situation because then we're excluding our child from the healing process. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to take them along that journey with us and, 
and be really inclusive and say, how do you want this handled? A lot of kids are really frightened of their parents' reactions. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to have a reaction, but keep it as yours. Don't, don't make it so big that, that, you know, your child's just not going to come and tell you. Um, and, and the first thing we do is then take this stuff off them. And, and this is such a significant part of their life now. Um, exactly. Experiencing oh, one of the, one of of the things, yep. Yeah, one of the things that I, um, I've had kids say to me, Rachel, is because I, I will say to them, why, why would someone not disclose um, something upsetting online? And the kids all give different things. And yes, you get, um, I'm scared of having whatever it happened on taken away, whether it's the app yeah. or the phone. I don't want to upset mum and dad. So that's that emotion thing you're talking about. I don't uh, think they'll be able to help me. So they don't see a way out and they don't think mum and dad are savvy enough to do that or even know where to go for help. Right. So at one point I, I, when this young person said to me, um, I fear that mum and dad will take everything away. And I said, did mum and dad ever say that to you, that everything would be taken away? Mm. And she thought, she said, no. Mm. And I said, so there's an assumption. So one of the things that I say to parents is you actually do need to have a conversation about when things go wrong and set oh, parameters around it. So kids are absolutely. really clear that you're not going to lose you. You're not going to lose your, your bottle when they tell you <laughs> you're not going to take absolutely everything away for, I mean, there's some legitimate reasons to shut things down. Sometimes, you know, you find out your kids on Tinder or Grindr and they're nine years old. You want to take it away. Well, you know? I'll, I'll say on, on that note, I'll tell you why kids think that mum and dad are going to take it away. Because at the moment, this is what happens. And in my parent presentations, I get people to think about this. If you punch your sister, I'm no gaming. If, you're, if you don't get out of bed tomorrow morning, that's it. No iPad tonight. Mm. Um, if you misbehave at school, that's it. You're not gaming for a month. Mm. All right? No social media for a month. And because we are using technology, um, um, you know, we're taking away the technology as a punishment all of the time. We do it all of the time. And the reason yeah. we do it is because it's easy. It's an easy That's tool right. to punish them with because they love it so much. And um, also, and Rachel, you creative. get you get you get a double bonus with that because when you take the technology away, you take the problem away. Yeah, you do. But the reason <laughs> children think that if they come to you with a problem that you're going to take their stuff away is because that's what we have been doing. Every time there's a problem, we take their stuff mm, away. That's true. So mm. I think it's really important that parents reflect on that, yes. um, you know, and, and reflect on having explicit conversations, you yes. know, explicitly talking about, you can always come to me. I won't overreact. You have, you have my absolute promise. I heard this beautiful um, um, thing that a father did. A father uh, went to his son and he said, look, I know there's some things going on in your life. You might be a bit embarrassed to talk to me about them, but I've got a top drawer in, in my bedroom, just in my chest of drawers. And if you ever want to just leave me a note in there to start a conversation because you feel too worried about doing the whole, dad, can I talk to you about this? Or mum, can I talk to you about this? Just leave me a note in there and I will find the most gentle, loving way to talk to you about it. And I thought that was a really creative way to begin a conversation mm. about something. You know, I feel, I feel sorry for kids. I, I can imagine 
I wasn't naive, but if I was on the internet and some hardcore porn just popped up in my face because someone decided to share it with me or I'd gone down that rabbit hole accidentally, which happens quite a lot, mm. um, how as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, do I then go and say to mum and dad, hey, mum and dad, how do, how do I do that? Mm. I, I don't have the skills as I don't have the emotional intelligence skills as a 10 or 11 year old to no. start that conversation. And because mum and dad have never said to me, Hey, you might see some weird stuff and that's okay. There is weird stuff that mm. happens in the world. We want you to know we're never going to get angry with you mm. talking to us. Just say, Hey mum, dad, I saw some weird stuff and we will know that's our cue to sit down and have a yeah. conversation about it. There's a, it's interesting you say that. And, and as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about some of, some of the issues I know that parents have. And one of the issues that they have, we're talking about anything that's uncomfortable, and Holly Ann Martin will talk about this as well, yes. is that they, they then fear that the child will go looking for it. That's right. Um, and it's, we've had this, this dilemma since, you know, for the last <laughs> how many hundreds of years with sex education, for instance, let's not talk about sex and where babies come from because they're going to go out and do it, you know. So <laughs> you had all these non-conversations going on. So what parents really need to do is to, even if you, if you haven't done it in the past and you've now got teenagers, is to establish and have those conversations well before, you, before your child needs them so that you have a relationship with your child where they can come and talk to you about all kinds of weird and wacky things to the point that sometimes as a parent you're like, oh, it's too much, la, 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 la. too much. I don't want to know this about you. And there's been times in my relationships yeah. with my kids where I'm just like, okay, <laughs> there's a line, there's a line. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, for some of my daughter's schooling, um, she lived with her father, um, and some of it, she lived with me. And during this part, portion of her schooling, she was living with her father and I got a call at 11 o'clock one night and she said, mum, she said, I'm just letting you know that I'm going to sneak out tonight. <laughs> that was one of those moments where I was like, well, you're thinking, who am I responsible to? I know here? what am I meant to do here? But forever grateful that that she got me on the phone and she said, "So this is my plan. I'm going to this place, and I promise I'll be back at this time." And you know, um, you know, whilst all the while freaking out, um, but grateful for that moment of her feeling like she could trust me with the information and, and that's the place that we need to get to for kids. And, you know, this whole conversation, like I, I will be harsh and say, you know, Oh, but if I talk to them about pornography, they'll go looking for it. I'm sorry. I think that's abdicating responsibility. The second you give a child this, they have yeah. access to everything. And, and if you are giving it to them, you are responsible for that in and I think, every level. And I think the, <sighs> not the majority, I would say probably the majority of parents that, that I speak to and I, uh, that I'm aware of with the feedback that I get really don't know how easy it is for a child to find those things oh. on their device. It, when I start talking to them about, you know, how easy it is to find porn, for instance, on Instagram, they're like, I had no idea. And that's because they may be using Instagram themselves but they're using it as an adult within a certain demographic and you're not going to get your mate, you know, your friends sort of in their 30s and 40s 
possibly sharing porn with you or links to it or show you a hashtag that that takes you to some kinky, you know, rabbit hole down Instagram. Yeah. There's well, an unawareness there of, of how these things work, as you say. I'll share a story. So six-year-old, this was from one of my last parent pre presentations. Six-year-old, really good kid. There's an 18-month-old in the house as well, okay? Now, the 18-month-old has never slept through the night, not yet. This one night, the 18-month-old has slept through and mum and dad have slept through as well. Six-year-old still wakes up at crack of dawn, which is mm. when everyone's been awake for ages. So six-year-old being a really good kid goes, oh, well, everyone's asleep. I'm going to go downstairs, grab the iPad and just continue to do the stuff that I've been looking at at school. Now this child um, and their class had been looking at the Titanic um, and I don't know, big boats or icebergs or something, I'm not quite sure. But um, the Titanic was the word that was in his head. Now, mum and dad were awoken by, ah, mum, dad! and dad's bolted downstairs and the six-year-old is sitting there with hard, hardcore pornography image, images in front of him, a little bit of film and movie going on as well, really hardcore stuff. And the reason that that happened was because he had started to Google Titanic. What's the first three letters of Titanic? T-I-T, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> it. So obviously some kind of a pause, something had popped up. As a six-year-old, he's gone, ooh, 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 and unknowingly gone down this rabbit hole. And all of a sudden, dad's had to now have this conversation of this child yeah. being quite traumatised by this, these images that he's yeah. seen. And, and that's one of hundreds of those stories. And, you know, he said, I'm actually really embarrassed because I'm a principal. And I'm the person who sits in my office dealing with these technology problems. Mm. And I'd opened this rabbit hole just simply because I hadn't put the iPad away safely enough. Cause I, in my brain, I was thinking, Oh, he's six, you know, and, and it's happening younger and younger and younger. It is. And so, it's a, it's a conversation that I've, that I have over and over with people, Rachel, yeah. it's a combination of parents um, and carers being aware that the devices are set up for adults for any kinky thing no no want. no I'll, I'll correct you but there. hang on hang on adults they're set up for money <laughs> yes 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 that's exactly right i know if ipads were set up for uh safely for families you'd have dual logins or several logins so that you wouldn't have to go out and buy one ipad for every member of the family at different ages but the other thing is rachel is that the technology is getting more and more complex so over my period of of being a total tech head, which is over 20 years now, I've seen, you know, safety settings going from the most basic thing oh. um, to the most <clears throat> complex design of safety set settings so that it allows a lot of data capture and all this kind of stuff. Yep. So what that means is that it is way out of the average parent's ability to be able to navigate every single app and every single device. So there is also an enormous amount of responsibility that needs to be placed Huge. on the tech companies in order to make things safe out of the box. And that's safety by design, which is what Julian Inham Grant is, is trying to push. Um, so it's a combination of both. So that story that you told me about that father who was the principal, although you would think, why didn't he have safety settings set up on, on the iPad? It's understandable. And parents, unfortunately, are in this very, very 
difficult situation where not only are they trying to navigate their own technology in their home to set it up so that it's safe and it can never be 100% safe, even with safety settings put on, yes. um, as they cannot be responsible for the technology in other people's homes, what their child comes across on the bus. It's just, a com it's out of control with that kind it's, of stuff. It feels like and a it makes me, as a person working in this space, particularly on the technical side of the space, absolutely furious that the big tech giants out there like YouTube, um, Facebook, all the social media comp companies have designed it for massive growth rather than protection. Well, I, and I that's my rant of the day. That's a, <laughs> well, my rant of the day with parents is always... Um, the people who built the internet, the people who build these devices, they don't care about you. They don't care about their ch your children. They don't care. This is, no. it's all about money. It's all monetized. And mm. I guess um, we really need to be honest about that. Money will trump your child's life every single day. And mm. that's one of my mantras. Money is more important than everything. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I mean, we look at, I think it was 1996, the um, one of the overseeing bodies in America had conversations with Google and all of those people and said, hey, we are seeing worrying data and worrying content in terms of child exploitation material and child sexual abuse material. It's actually starting to spiral. And, you know, we're talking 20 years ago and, and they said to all of the platforms, um, they said, you need to do something about it. And they just haven't. You know, because it, it stops understand. growth. Well, and growth it's... is money. And, and this is the thing that mm -hmm. I just wish people would get. If when I bought this mm -hmm. on the box, it said the recommendations in Australia for screen time for children and adults was, you know, not to two years, nothing, not to five years, an hour a day, and five upwards, no more than two hours a day you know, outside of all of their educational stuff. I know that people would make different decisions about, you know, like if we had cigarette kind of warnings on, on device packages, but that won't happen because people will lose too much money. You know, there are actually some very simple things, little bits of information. Every parent session that I do when I say, you know, one of the recommendations is that that two hour time period um, that, that kids should be sort of mindlessly using their devices. I would say 98% of parents don't even know that. And that's a really basic thing. And the yeah, amount of except, parents that have said to me... Except, Rachel, that that's now been superseded. The, mm -hmm. the, the two-hour thing has been totally superseded. So the American um, Association of Pediatrics, so I always get it wrong, American Pediatrics <laughs> Society or whatever it is, couple of years ago came out and basically wiped that whole two-hour thing and yep. said that it, it they are focusing more on the content what kids content. are actually doing on their screens which is right. is was an important distinction to make because the content is now so varied and I understand that but having said that what I do know in practical senses is one of the most asked questions I get Yes. is how much time should my child be spending on a screen because parents whilst they do need to be much more aware of what their kids are using and that's a big problem for parents because the, the devices are getting smaller and smaller um, and easy for kids to switch from one thing to another Absolutely. Um, 
the balance of screen time, which of course has gone completely out the window with, with COVID as well. And now a lot of parents are contacting me wanting to, to, to figure out a way of managing that a lot better. Um, it's very difficult. And, and as you're saying, it, it would be helpful if parents could have a number, if they could have an amount of screen time that is healthy or not healthy. But there are so many studies out there at the moment all saying different things. I so sometimes I get to talk to a researcher, Rachel, and I say, can you guys just get it together? Because here we are as educators, I'm looking at the research, I'm reading the research, I'm interested in the research, but you're all saying different things. Some of you are saying the kids oh, are all right. And, and then another researcher says, we're like, all going to hell in a handbasket. I know. And that's the thing. So, you know, I use the, the two-hour thing as a, as a way um, to give parents a benchmark. So yeah. what I do tell them is to watch their kids' behaviour. So yeah. I know for my son, for example, um, anything after about an hour sort of gaming and that kind of stuff, he has real issues, you know, after controlling his temper or reconnecting with the real world and that kind of stuff again, mm. which obviously yeah. means that for him and his brain and where he's at in his development, there's too much time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, part of this is also about watching your kids and studying them. Just think about the times you take them to the playground for the first time. You watch to make sure that they can climb up the slide. You watch them when they jump off those things. Is that too high for their body? Is this good for them? Is that good for them? You need to do the same thing when you're monitoring their online consumption, watch, watch their mood, watch, does it change significantly or are they okay? Can they put the pick up the device and put it down at whim? Are they the boss of this or is this the boss of them? That's, that's the kinds of questions that they need to be asking in terms of whether it's too much, but I consistently hear from parents, Oh, I don't have the time for that. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is that it, um, there's a bit of a, a payoff for parents, and I, I mentioned it earlier. The payoff for parents is that when the kids are on screens, they're not under their feet. They're not, um, they may not be fighting with siblings that, that might happen. Um, life's much calmer. So uh, what I hear from parents is that the drama around the device use in the home gets to a point where they either want to throw everything away and lock it away and let's just shut it down um, and in some cases with young teenagers that's just like locking them in their room without any communication with the outside world or going in the other direction and just giving up because there's always this fight and so it, what it is one of the things that I say to parents is try not to think of digital parenting in any kind of different way than you what you would non-digital parenting so if you if you if you're in a dilemma and you and you're trying to decide what the right thing or the right wrong thing is to do try and think about it in an offline way because the rules aren't any different and you're absolutely right Rachel every child is different and what they can yes, tolerate right. is different so that's you need to make decisions about how much time your child spends on a device according to what's happening in the family what yeah. the situation uh, are you in lockdown um, do you have access to other sorts of um, activities that your child can do? Um, mental health issues, development issues, all kinds of things. But if you find it in your family that all the non-screen things that you used to do are no longer happening and you don't have yeah. new things to go to, then getting kids off screens because they have to take a shower, have dinner or do homework is always going to be a battle. Yeah. It is. It, and I mean, I acknowledge it is tough, but, you know, all of this, uh, 
you know, addiction by design and all of those sorts of things. I mean, a lot of parents don't know mm-hmm. how, how designed we are into keeping using and keeping going. And I mean, I know that's, that's a whole other topic, but I just try and stick to, you know, those things that the longer you're on them, the more money people make. Like, and that's the bottom line every day. That is the bottom line. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it's not you who's making the money. It's other people. So they have a vested interest in keeping you there for as long as they can. And they have a vested interest in keeping your kids there from as young an age as possible for as long as they can as well. And, and I think we need to have some reality checks around that and be really honest with ourselves around that. So all of these things that we've been talking about from a perspective of not having things taken away, which is where it started, Rachel, yes, in order to have the um, environment in our, in our family, in our relationships, where we can come to each other um, to disclose where children feel that they're in a safe place, that they can trust that um, adults or carers yes. or teachers or whoever it is will receive whatever disclosure that is without putting that other child at risk because one of the other things that we didn't mention was and you mentioned it which was that that child often won't disclose because they they worried that they in turn will also be victimized by their peers yes, so we, we need to establish that as a group which is one of the things I do with kids which is I I have them take a pledge that they won't um, call each other dobbers or, or snitches or take some kind of action towards another person for reporting something that's harmful or dangerous, that you are in fact being a hero in order in, in doing that. And it's really hard on that point, Leonie, in terms of Australian culture though. Mm, Australian yeah. culture is, is, is like collectively we're, we're so kind and we'll help each other out and, you know, mateship and all of that kind of stuff. But when it comes to that one-on-one, you know, standing up for somebody or speaking up when things, things aren't right, we're, we're actually not very good at that stuff no. because people get absolutely smashed for standing up and doing the right thing. And, and that's infused into our kids from a really young age. And look, I just suffice to say that from a student management point of view in a school, you know, the weeks, the months that, that I have spent and I know, you know, other people um, in student management roles spend just trying to get a crumb of information so we can help a child is ridiculous because people are so tight lipped and, and something that Stymie has done, has allowed kids to be able to give that really responsible and truthful information to literally save a life or to change a life. But, you know, I, w- I, wish, I wish we didn't have that. I wish we all had the guts. That's what I say to kids. I wish, I wish we had the guts, you know, but that, that comes from home. Teaching kids courage um, is a skill. Like courage mm-hmm. is a skill that we learn. And something that we know about courage is that it, it's in parallel with fear. You don't need to be courageous if you're not frightened of something. All right. So we need to call on kids to, to access courage if they're frightened about something. And, and it's something we actually need to talk to them about again, explicitly and almost practice so that when faced with a situation that is, you know, um, they feel threatened by or frightened that, that we, we can teach them to step forward with some courage and certainly sticking up for your mates 
or you're not mates or having the courage to say, hey, don't, don't speak to them like that. Don't treat them like that. That's not good enough. We don't do that here. You know, we need more kids to just be able to have enough faith in themselves to be able to say those things. I wonder, um, Rachel, if it's also elevated. I wonder if it's also elevated at the moment and enhanced at the moment because of our social media and, and our internet so that, you know, previous to all of that, you would only be dealing with perhaps a small group or a small section of people that might come back at you if you were the dobber. But now that we've got the internet and that massive reach that there's even oh, more fear involved if you are the dobber and you get then victimised for, for having that courage. Well, it's huge. And the other thing that happens that schools have a lot of trouble dealing with is that you've also got these kids on the periphery that aren't even involved in the situation who keep throwing fuel on the fire just to see what happens. And I've always had this values driven thing about drama. Why do we need so much drama in our lives? Like so much of what we consume on TV, it's all about drama. It's all negative stuff. And humans against humans rather than us being oh you can go back to the hate. greek era for that you blame the I, greeks i know <laughs> but the thing is that kids seem hardwired to mm. be involved in and to contribute a lot of the time to the drama rather than you know the buck stops with me hey guys we're, we're not doing this anymore mm. and you know i can just think of so many situations that ended up terrible terrible things have happened because there wasn't one child that had the courage. They knew what was happening was wrong, but they just didn't have the courage to stand up and say, hey, you know, let, let's not do this anymore. And, yeah. and that's and my it comes, hope. And it often comes, I notice, from the head down, Rachel. Definitely. I can feel it when I go into a school as to what the, the principal might be like. I get a, a sense of that. And I think leadership is really important, whether it is the staff or the kids being leaders themselves, to be able to change the culture in a school. I, I agree. But what we do know about courage and resilience is that they're built at home. Okay. You know, at the beginning of this year, there were lots of conversations around, oh, we need to, you know, throw in some learning modules that are about empathy and kindness. I'm like, guys, we do this stuff in schools. You cannot walk into a school where we don't have school values that are all based around responsibility and kindness and working together. In my experience in, in managing kids, one of the places that we are having difficulty in communicating these things is this relationship that we have, have in parenting now. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, there are so many kids that I've dealt with in my life where we do all of this work with them at school, but we know that they've got to go home to whatever they're going home to. And then it feels like we get them home again, back to school again the next day and we've got to start all over again. The courage and resilience stuff really comes from home. And um, there's only so much that we can do, you know, with kids at school. Kids only spend like 15 or 17% of their time at school. And a lot of people don't know that. In fact, a lot of people are shocked 15 to 17% only of their time is spent at school. And then think about now that we've got all of the digital literacy stuff on top of that, think about the things that we're expected to pack into their hearts and their minds during that 15 or 17%. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you just said it beautifully that it comes from home, Rachel. And, and I agree with you. And I think schools are often tasked with, you know, 
introducing and creating and educating our kids on things that do need to come from home and unfortunately we know that there's a lot of kids that don't have homes that that give them that as well so we're all trying in our way whether we're teachers yeah. or parents to help um you know this generation of kids and there's just so much to deal with and and now we've got you know a pandemic on top of all of that as well thank you so much for having a chat with me rachel about this we did end up going down a couple of rabbit I holes there, <laughs> but it was really interesting it's very interesting to talk to you because you have a very interesting perspective on this as a as a as a teacher for mm. so many years and then seeing you know the need for this platform for kids how can schools get involved if they if they want to initiate this platform within their own schools rachel um, I, I, I'll tell you that in a minute. I just wanted to say an important, uh, an important point in terms of kids speaking about um, being bullied or hurt or harmed. There's just one thing that I, I want to share with everyone before we go. A lot of kids and actually a lot of parents, one of the discussions that we have a lot is, oh, well, the reason that we haven't said anything about it is because we said something once and it didn't help. This is what we know. We know statistically that if people come to us with an issue the first time, that we have a pretty good chance of resolving it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that, that situation will continue to bubble over and boil away, okay? Yeah. But what we know is that people go, oh, well, I've already said something um, and it didn't work, so I'm not going to say anything else. What we Are know you is saying if, from the perspective of the kids saying that? Yeah, or? from the kids and the parents. Okay. They often say, well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because I said something once a long time ago and it didn't help. What we know is that if they come back the second time mm -hmm. and say it's still happening, then pretty close to 100% of the time we can nip whatever's happening in the bud. Mm -hmm. So I'm encouraging parents and students who might be watching this that if you've tried to deal with it once and it hasn't resolved it, please go and deal with it again. Mm. Okay. Really, really important. Um, mm. Because, you know, the number of times I've sat in, you know, with parents and they've gone, why haven't you done anything about this? And I've gone, well, I didn't know. Yes. I didn't have the information, yeah. you know, you didn't come to me and tell me about it. Mm. And they said, yeah, well, we came to you at the beginning of last year. And I'm like, guys, that's a year and a half ago. I didn't know it was still happening. Yeah. You know, if you told me, I would have been able to help. So I think that's a really important issue for parents to know. If schools want to get involved with Stymie, um, they can go to about.stymie.com.au. If people want to know more about the work that I've done or um, my 2020 Queensland Australian of the Year journey and the ways that we help communities, they can go to racheldowney.com and contact me. I love speaking to parent groups like you do as well, helping wherever I can. Um, and if people have got some more ideas about how I could be more helpful, I'm always interested in hearing about that as well. So Thank you so much, Rachel Downey, 2020 Rachel? Queensland Australian <laughs> of the Year. Did you get the little gold badge? Yeah, we got all the gold bling. Um, <laughs> It's been it's been wonderful. It was and amazing. I, I was just so uh, cheering for you when I saw that came on. I thought, what an Thank amazing you. thing to to have happened to you. It's just extraordinary. And you have um, a, a great day up there in uh, sunny Queensland. Very sunny um, day. Yeah. Um, Thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review. 
or some feedback on YouTube or your favourite podcast app that you're listening to us on now. Um, the podcast is doing well. The numbers are going up, but share it with your friends because we need more and more listeners because we've got some great content on there for, from some amazing people talking about all kinds of aspects of um, digital parenting and digital families. Um, tune, in, tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families and all the um, links that Rachel uh, mentioned there. I'll put them in the podcast as well and underneath in comments. Thank you very much.